you're able for the reading of God's word. This is from Romans chapter 15, uh, verses 22 through 33. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. Once I have enjoyed your company for a while. And at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contributions for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the, the, from the unbelievers in Judea, and that, by, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Matt. You guys remain standing for a quick moment while I pray for us. Father, I ask and pray that the words of my mouth in these next few moments and the meditations of all of our hearts in here as we consider the word would be pleasing in your sight. We pray it in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Thanks for standing. Go ahead and be seated. All right. We've had a lot happening today. A lot of good stuff. I love it. Hey, and by the way, I didn't get a chance to, to welcome you like Brian did. Um, so welcome. If I haven't met you before, my name's Josh. I'm one of the pastors here along with Brian Laws. We are glad you're here. And if you're new or newish to the church, um, just so you know, there is this little QR code with a cool dinosaur in the middle of it. Uh, that is on the inside panel of the bulletin that takes you to our welcome card. A chance for you to uh, ask questions about the church or share prayer requests or maybe even try to get together with me and Brian to learn more about the church. We would love to know that you're here and we would love, um, yeah, to see you through that. Um, also, a couple of other things just to uh, welcome in nature is moms and dads. If you don't know, there are cry rooms to either side of the sanctuary here. This one's a little bit more private than this one, but they're both available and air-conditioned, by the way, which is awesome. And then um, there are sermon notebooks on this back banister, and that's for any kids that have kind of aged out of our Sunday school classes right now. Um, they are available to grab those sermon notebooks and take some notes and there's a Dutch Brothers gift card in it for anybody that can take 10 sermon note pages. So, hey, uh, if you're up for that. Only kids, though, no adults. I've made that joke too often. I can tell it's beginning to lose its luster. Mm. All right. Um, sorry, uh, is everything okay in the back with the soundboard? Is that, see? All, all is good? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm getting nervous back here. See, it's like a five-alarm fire in the back. Okay. 
we're going to pretend that it's all good. So we'll go ahead, guys, and jump into this text that Matt read for us. As you see, this is a part two. Um, we began our study on this text last week, but there was just so much to say, so much to get to. Even this text that kind of at first glance seems like there wouldn't be much to talk about with it, but there is. So here we are in part two with the same passage. Now, by way of review, I've got a little bit of a pop quiz for you. You're off the hook if you weren't here last week, so don't worry. Although this would still maybe be a pop quiz you want to participate in. It's easy, so don't worry. Um, I've got some multiple choice that I've got up here on the screen. So, Jess, if you could go to that next slide. All right, here we go. What is the book of Romans? At its core, what is this book? A, a theology textbook. B, a self-help book. C, a personal letter. Or D, an evangelistic tract. What do you got? That looks like an L in the background. Oh, there we go. A C or a claw. I see C here. What about over here? C. Everybody's going C. Yes. All of the above. All of the above. It's true. Yeah, Joyce is all of the above. But hey, the primary, the heart, the core, it is a personal letter that Paul sends to his people. And we see that very clearly in the text that Matt read for us. Paul's saying things like, I long to come see you, to be refreshed in your company. He's giving his travel plans in the same way that I like write an email to my friends and I'm like, hey, I'm going to go here, then I'm going to go there, and then I'm going to travel there next. So it is a personal letter. However, we can get even more precise than that. And we can actually sort of winnow it down to say it's not just any kind of letter, it's actually a very particular kind of letter. And you see right up here, I sort of did a little bit of a bait and switch on you. I changed the phrasing of our pop quiz, and I've got C now, not as personal letter, but as support letter. The book of Romans is Paul raising support for future missionary activity. You guys remember that from last week? Where does he want to go? Spain. He is longing to get to Spain. He's longing to get to what at that time in that day and age was the ends of the earth and spread the gospel there, to plant churches there, to see the name of the Lord Jesus proclaimed. And so he's writing to the Romans saying, I want you to become a healthy church, a strong church, a gospel-anchored church so you can help me get to Spain. You can be my home base, so to speak, and be the one that I rely on to be the people that get me to the ends of the earth to share the gospel there. So this support letter that Paul sends is in a way him saying, this is where the sermon title comes from. It's his way of saying adios. He's coming to Rome. He's going to be refreshed by them. He's going to enjoy their company, but then he's out of there. He's on his way to Spain. And yes, I know that the Spanish language was not created yet at this moment in time. It's a little bit anachronistic, but just roll with it, okay? He says adios. Well, not really. It's probably in Latin, whatever he said, but no, actually that wasn't even created yet either. Well, yes it was, but he didn't, okay, I'm getting a mess here. Man, Kevin warned me weeks ago that adios was a terrible sermon title, and I was like, it'll be fine, it'll be fine. I should have listened to him. <laughs> so why are we harping on this? Well, big reason that I mentioned last week, and I'm going to say again here by way of reminder and even just the introduction to this, is that 
If it's true that the book of Romans at heart is the support letter, then it means that all of the wonderful theology we see here, all the amazing descriptions of the gospel have this purpose of propelling people into mission, giving them a heart to engage with the gospel, to see it go places and go to people that have never heard it before. And I wonder if maybe it could sort of have that same uh, activity on our hearts as we read it. So many of you guys, and I'm so encouraged by this, we've been in the book of Romans for a long time, and some people have written me emails or talked to me and said, wow, I've never thought of justification like this until we went through Romans 3 and really sank our teeth into it. Or, wow, I've never really wrestled with God's sovereignty like we saw it in Romans 9, 10, and 11. And it is scary and hard to understand, but I see God in this glorious new way. Amen. But I wonder if that effect that the God's word has had on your heart shouldn't go a step further. To say, yes, I'm seeing God more gloriously. I'm seeing justification more deeply. And yet that's going to push me one step further to care about sharing these truths with people that don't know him yet. I guess what I'm trying to say is it's not meant to just stop with you knowing the gospel better. It's meant to flow out of you. It's meant to actually make you interested and engaged with seeing the gospel go to places it's never gone before or be spoken to people that don't know him yet. How is your depth of learning here in Romans actually making you think more about seeing Jesus proclaimed to unknown places? That's my question. And that's my takeaway from seeing Romans as this support letter. Maybe it's a good one, maybe it's a bad one, I don't know, but I hope that you would at least chew on that and think about that. Now, I said last week that this idea of Romans being this letter, the support letter, it's like the big overarching idea of this text. It's like an umbrella. It's the main thing. But underneath that, there's some little takeaways that we can notice in this text. These little observations that aren't the main idea, and yet there's still things that we can learn from and say, huh, that's interesting. What does that teach me about X, Y, or Z? So one of them that we looked at last week was about Paul's sort of winding journey to finally get to Rome and how God ultimately brought him to the place that he wanted to go, but it was in a way far different than probably Paul imagined or anticipated. And we talked about trusting that God is always at work even when things don't look like we think they should. So there's that little observation, but now we're going to add another one to it. And it has to do with this offering that was taken up on behalf of the saints in Jerusalem and that Paul is going to deliver in person. So let's look back at our text. Verse 25 is where this really picks up. Paul is saying, hey, I want to come see you in Rome. I want you to send me to Spain. But then he says this. He says, at present, however, I am going to Jerusalem bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. Uh, Macedonia and Achaia, they're regions, and they include within them some cities that you're familiar with, like the city of Corinth, the city of Philippi, 
city of Thessalonica, all these places where we have letters in the New Testament that Paul wrote to the churches in those cities. And what he's saying here is that those churches have, have taken up this offering. They've, they've pooled their resources to, to create a collection that they want to be sent to brothers and sisters in Christ who live in Jerusalem. I mentioned last week that there had been this great famine that had hit the Roman Empire in the first century. It affected the entire Mediterranean era, area, but it seemed to hit the region of Judea particularly hard, especially the city of Jerusalem. So that the reports that people were hearing is that the people that lived in Jerusalem, especially the church there that was already experiencing persecution and, and being economically blackballed, they were really suffering. Some of them were starving. Some of them didn't wear, know where food was going to come from. And so on their own accord, these churches all across the Mediterranean began taking up funds saying, we want to help our brothers and sisters that are in Jerusalem. Now, of course, you couldn't, like, mail it. There was no Venmo. So if they were going to get those funds to Jerusalem, they had to entrust it with somebody that would take it. So Paul and other evangelists that would come to those churches and would visit and would teach them, they gave the funds to Paul saying, we trust you to take what we've collected and give it to Jerusalem in person. Which, by the way, think of, like, how dangerous that would be to be that courier, right? You just filled your travel bag full of, yeah, I, I don't know, gold coins. I'm not going to go down the road of trying to think of the different currencies. I already made that mistake earlier. But Paul says, yes, I will take that. And so what we're reading in the text here is him saying, okay, before I get to you Romans, I need to stop by Jerusalem and take the offering to them. Now, he says this, which is really cool. In the very next phrase, <clears throat> let me find it here. Verse 27, for they were pleased to do it, meaning the churches weren't coerced. Paul didn't twist their arm. They themselves were eager to share what they had with the church in Jerusalem. But now we're going to go a little further. It sort of gets weird after that. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also to be to service to them in material blessings. This is a really strange way of putting this idea of sharing in the burden of brothers and sisters of Christ, especially that phrase, you owe it to them. Let, let me try my best to kind of give a little bit of a, a sense of what's going on here. What Paul is saying is that these believers in Jerusalem, most all of them would have been believers that come from a Jewish background, meaning that they were part, ethnically part, of God's covenant people, the Jews. And it was to the Jews that God had given uh, his covenants, his promises, and it was through them. They were the conduit through which the Messiah, the light of the world, would come to his people. So Paul's saying, hey, you Gentile believers, you Greek background believers, I want you to realize that if you've benefited from the gospel at all, 
If you know Jesus and you are joyfully abiding in Christ, you have to realize that all of that started with God's covenant people. They are the conduit through which the Messiah came to the world. So don't forget about them. Don't dismiss them. Don't ignore them. Care for them. Because, you know, to use the the quote from the text, you owe it to them. Now, that's generally what's going on here, but it doesn't solve the problem, at least for me, of the fact that that's just kind of a really yucky concept. And yes, you just heard a 40-year-old man say the word yucky, okay? It's just yucky because it feels so transactional. It feels so like, oh, we're paying them back for the privilege of the gospel? Like, how do you even put a price on that? There isn't a price for it, by the way. And so I I read this text and I'm like, what does that mean? They owe it to them. Now, if you're anything like me, some of you guys are probably like, Josh, you're making way too big of a deal about this. But if you're anything like me and you're like, yeah, that does seem sort of weird. I want to encourage you to sort of couch that owing it terminology in what comes next, especially this concept of sharing with the people of God in spiritual blessings. So, if we keep reading past verse 27, it says this. For if the Gentiles have come to share in the spiritual blessings, they ought also to be of service to them in material blessings. I have share really sort of hopefully prominently put upon in the slide. Because what that shows me, that Paul's idea here is not this transactional like, oh, I'm paying back a creditor that I owe money to. No. What he has in mind is a family. A family that now in Christ, they share in the same name. They share in the same bonds of brotherhood and sisterhood. They are one. And so him saying, you share in this together is just this reminder yet again, we've seen it over and over and over in Romans, that Jews and Gentiles, if they believe in Jesus, they are now united. The dividing wall of hostility has been broken down. And you know what? That goes for all people, all backgrounds. Anything that the world puts up this dividing wall of hostility, the gospel breaks it down so that if you believe in Jesus, you are part of one singular family. You share in the spiritual blessings together. That's what the text says. And it's not the only place in Romans we've seen that. Remember the image in Romans 11 of the one olive tree, that branches were grafted in and now we're part of this one tree? Or Romans 12, the body, Jesus is the head of the body, but then we have all the different members together. They have different functions and parts, but they're one body in Christ. Or how about Abraham? We're told back in chapter 4 that in Jesus, we're now all part of his family. We share in that one singular identity in Christ. And so what Paul means when he says you owe it to them is not paying a bill collector. What he's talking about is a brother who looks at his sibling and says, I owe it to you because you're family. I'm obligated to you. I care about you. We're in this together. When you suffer, I suffer. When you rejoice, I rejoice. 
I've said many times to you guys just in casual conversation that with my dad suffering like he has these last few years, I feel like I owe it to him to care for him the best that I can. That is not a transactional, I'm trying to pay him back and get off the hook for my debt. No, it's because he's my dad, that's my family. I feel that deep sense of owing and obligation out of love and connection. That's what's happening here. So when these Gentile believers, they take up their collection and they send it to Jerusalem, what they are doing is saying, we are part of one common family in Christ. We're together. We're not separate. We're in this as one body, one family, one faith. And when you suffer, we suffer. When you rejoice, we rejoice. We owe it to you. I'm harping on this because I feel like this is the powerful takeaway that I want to get you guys to see. When Paul writes that little verse that we've been sort of focusing on, this owing it to them, you know, if they've shared in the spiritual blessings, they share in the material needs. What he's doing is telling us this. That this collection is not just about money. It isn't. It's not just about famine relief. It's not just about the gold coins or the silver that's taken. It's, that is a big part of it to help people eat and find food, yes. But there's more to it than that. There is a spiritual element to it. A, a symbolic element to it. That when the Gentiles give this offering, they are saying, we're one family. They are confirming that gospel truth that we are united in Christ. And when the church at Jerusalem receives the offering, they're doing the same thing. They're saying, we're receiving this because we're one family. There's no dividing wall anymore. The gospel tells us that we are united in faith and we are brothers and sisters. So the offering, the, the giving and the receiving of it is saying something spiritually significant. That in the gospel, we are united by faith. It is more than just money. It's way more. My head's been spinning these last couple of weeks of saying, okay, what does this mean for us? And I really don't think it's too complicated. I think that we take that same idea that any offering, any charity, any gift, at least in the kingdom of God, isn't just about the money. It's about something spiritually significant going on, and I think that applies even to the offering that we take every week at church. It applies to the support that you give to missionaries you know and ministries that you're invested in. It applies to the charitable opportunities that you have to give and to relieve great needs that there are many in the world. And the idea is this, that when you give, it's not just about saying, I'm giving this money to meet this practical need. Yeah, it is that, but it's more. Your giving is saying, it's not just me and Jesus. It's not just my local church body and Jesus. I am part of a larger family of faith that I care about, that I'm interested in, that I'm engaged in. And whenever I give, I am confirming that that gospel truth that we are united as one family in faith is real. 
And your gifts, your tithes, your offerings have the effect of drawing you deeper into the one family of Christ. We have such tunnel vision and think that it's purely about just this need that needs to happen. No. It's about spiritually making you more connected to your body, more connected to your family. Okay, so here's a very practical example of this. I know I've been very abstract. Let's get practical. The last special offering we took up was a few months ago for the Mayflower Church, the church that had fled mainland China because they were under threat of all being imprisoned. They had gone to South Korea, then they were in Thailand. Some missionary friends of ours tell them that there's desperate need. As they wait for their UN interviews, we are running out of money for their lodging and running out of money for their food costs. So our church and many others around the Christian world took up collections to send to them to help provide for those needs. So here's the practical part. You gave money and your generosity to help care for the needs of that church. Yes, that happened. But it was more than that. And here's how I know. Many of you guys said that after you gave to that offering, all of a sudden you found your prayers being redirected to those people in Thailand more than they ever had before. I remember it was a Friday that we got the news that the whole church had been arrested in Thailand. And thank God that was just short term. They were released a few days later. Now, as you guys know, most of them are in the United States. But that day when we heard they were arrested was a terrible day. My phone absolutely blew up with people from the church texting me and saying, have you seen this yet? You guys were engaged. You prayed for them. You were interested in them. You checked online every day to see is there a new news story about this, what's happening, what's going on. Your act of giving drew you closer to them and spiritually confirmed what the gospel tells us is true, that we are not isolated. We are one family in Christ. Now, sometimes we just, we give a very generic name to this. You're saying, well, Josh, what you're talking about is raising awareness. There's stirring up interest. Yeah, okay. But it's more than that. According to the Bible and this text that we read and are taking this from, there's something very significant happening at a spiritual level. And it is that the family of faith is being confirmed through these acts of generosity. And when you give, whether it be to a special uh, need like that, whether it be the tithes and offerings that we take each week, whether it be the missionaries that you support, you are confirming this truth, the family of faith is united in Christ. That is the way that it should work. It doesn't always work like that. And here's the sad irony, guys. The easier it becomes to give to charity, the easier it becomes to give tithes and offerings at church, the more streamlined, the more technologically advanced, the more in danger we are of losing this element of giving and making tithes and offerings or missionary support or special needs basically in our minds equivalent to paying our PG&E bill. You realize that? So I was telling the folks up in paradise this morning that I read this article that was kind of funny. They, they uh, quoted from the tale of two cities and they say, it's the best of times and the worst of times. 
It's the best of times. It is so easy to engage in charitable giving now. You don't have to rely upon your faulty memory. You don't have to write out a check, which is easily forgotten. You can just, with your thumbprint on your phone, send money across the world. You can give to your church. You can set up automatic withdrawals so that you don't forget. Look at all the charitable giving that's been prompted by these technological advances. It is the best of times. But then the next statement, it's the worst of times. People have turned their giving into something they don't even think about anymore. They just set once on auto draft and never pray about it or consider it again. They can put their thumbprint on their phone and send money across the world and never even have to take their eyes off the football game that they're watching on TV. We are so blessed to live in a time where God's made it, where we can engage in charity and generosity and offerings in such a seamless clinical way. And yet, please, 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 I beg you to consider what are we losing if we just so mindlessly use technology to do it all for us? It would be a travesty even if the church at large took in the most amount of charitable offerings they ever have, it would be a travesty if that happened at the expense of God's people, not seeing this spiritual element of giving that we read about today or the many other ones there, like the fact that giving is an act of worship, that giving is an act of trust where we prayerfully ask the Lord to guide us in how we should give and we trust him with it. We would lose so much. I have uh, a screenshot up here of our website. Um, I think I do. Do I have that, Jess? There we go. So this is our giving page on our website, which, by the way, it took me a long time to be okay with having an online giving option. Because I didn't want, like, giving to be something that was just so done remotely and taken out of the worship service as an act of worship. But everybody basically told me I was a dinosaur living in the past. I finally got with the program and we put something up that's available, but it's still behind the times. Many of you guys know this. We have no option on here to actually set up a recurring gift. And that's on purpose. <laughs> because the one thing we wanted this to be is more of sort of like a fallback if somebody's out of town or forget. We didn't want this to replace forever giving in church and we certainly didn't want it to be that somebody that could set an auto gift up and just be on autopilot where they never thought about the gifts they were giving to the church or anything else for that matter guys every time you trust the lord with your tithes and offerings i want it to be a prayerful exercise of trust i want it to be an act of worship and who cares what i want i think he wants that and so here this week I'm thinking about this because I'm like, oh my goodness, this is yet another reason where I want our people, even if it's harder, even if we put more hurdles, that you guys would be thoughtful and prayerful whenever you give. Not only so it's an act of worship that you're thinking about, but also to come back to the point of our text. It's something that connects you with the family of faith that you're cognizant of, you're aware of just like we talked about with the Mayflower Church, where giving drew you in closer to them and their plight. 
Now, of course, if that's going to happen, there's some changes that I need to make in a leadership position too. Namely, I need to do a better job of letting you know on Sundays where our tithes and offerings go. What things we're supporting, what things that we're actively participating in. We've done that. I feel like Becca Gillander has led us so well with missions and letting you know about the missionaries we support. But I can do a better job in letting you guys know about what we're doing in the community, the different ministries that we're supporting, the different things that are happening. You notice we tried to do that this week. I stepped up front and told you guys about the Jesus Center breakfast that we're engaging in once again, and that part of your tithes and offerings are going to that. I want to do that more in the future. And actually, this isn't my grand idea. Brian and I were actually on a phone call with some friends of ours here at church not too long ago, and they were telling us about their former, former church did that very thing, that when they passed the offering baskets, when they took the tithes and offerings, they would always give the people a snapshot of one of the ministries that those tithes and offerings were going to support. And I remember hearing that and being like, well, that's a good idea, but I don't know if we can pull that off practically. And then here I am studying the word this week, and it's just like, yes, the offering is meant to connect us to these things, to, meant to, to draw you in to these opportunities and initiatives and ministries so that you can be closer to them as the one family of faith. And so it's like, okay, it might logistically be hard, but I think we need to do that. And I'm scared of it. We're a small church. Our budget's limited. There's chances that we're going to tell you guys all the things that we're giving to and then have to like start over again in just a few months time. That's kind of embarrassing. But so be it. I really want to do our best to let you guys know when you trust the Lord with your tithes and offerings, who it is in the family of faith that you're being drawn closer together with. And by God's grace, we'll do that better. So what's the big takeaway here? going to repeat it one more time. Your offering, your tithe, your support that you give to missions, it's not just about the money. There is something so much deeper and spiritual and symbolic happening. We see it here in this text, and we see it in the year 2023, whenever the family of faith says, I'm together with you. You're my brother, my sister, and let this contribution show it and prove it. That when you suffer, I suffer. When you rejoice, I rejoice. We are one family in Christ. Let's pray. Lord God, help us to see our tithes and offerings in this way. The way that the scripture is showing us. Not just about practical aid. But about the gospel. And about what you've done to unite us together in faith. Pray, God, that in the future, every time that we take up offerings at church, it does this work of drawing us deeper into this one family and knowing that it's not just me and Jesus. I'm part of something bigger and more beautiful than that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. As we come over to the table now,